Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So, we are continuing our study of the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're uh, in beginnings of Canto 4, and immediately there's a big conflict. <laughs> right? And so we finished on the second chapter, verse 31, last week. So we're just finishing uh, chapter 2, um, and then continuing the fight, <laughs> because it continues for five chapters, actually, this uh, conflict. And finally, there's a resolution at the end. There's, By blaspheming the principles of the Vedas, which are the pure and supreme path of the saintly persons, certainly you followers of Bhutapati, Lord Shiva, will descend to the standard of atheism without a doubt. So who's speaking? Brigu, that's right, Brigu Muni. So there's this conflict going on, right? Um, but, and this happens a lot in, uh, in the world, uh, that there's a conflict between two people. In this case, it's almost like three people. Well, you could say it's two people to begin with, Daksha and Lord Shiva, right? But that spills over into people who care about those people. You see, that, and that's, that's often the case, right? If somebody uh, speaks ill of someone that you love, right, you're immediately kind of part drawn into that conflict, Right? So that's what happened in the case of uh, Sati, 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 how do you pronounce it? Sati, thank you. Um, and she got drawn in, certainly because, well, in an interesting way, because she's the daughter of Daksha and the uh, wife of Lord Shiva. And I think if, um, if it was just based on relationships, that would be a very difficult one for a woman, wouldn't it? in general, like forget about the fact that Daksha did something really stupid and all that, but just in general, if you had to choose between your husband and your father, right, you're not supposed to have to make that choice, right? Uh, a, a, in, the, in the Vedic times, a woman was under, you know, the care and love and protection, right, uh, of, her, uh, of her father when she's born, right, and then of her husband, and then later, if her husband passes away or takes sannyas, and of her elder son. And so always kind of sheltered, and there's no, like, well, I, my son says one thing, and my, you know, that would be, that's, that makes for a difficult situation. And unfortunately, it happens a lot, right? Um, I, I used to do a lot of mediations in the court systems in India, and especially because of partition, because of um, uh, fights over land, then there'll often be uh, conflicts between family members, even. But it wasn't such a hard choice this time for Sati because uh, her father um, really blew it, <laughs> you could say, really messed up. But then what happens is then more people get involved, right? And so that's what's happening here. Brigu Muni, I don't know if you could say that he's on Daksha's side, but he certainly is on the side of continuing the, the, the sacrifice that was going on, the yagna that was going on. And then Lord Shiva's followers, of course, are taking the side of Lord Shiva. So they, they get in the mix. And this, this, happens, this happens even in, look at the world wars, 
right? They happened between two countries to begin with, right? And then it expanded. That's why they're called the World Wars. They expanded and the Allies took one side and the, you know, the axis of power took the other side, right? And, and that's, so this is not um, an unusual situation in the material world for this to happen, right? And I, I often, in my work, my present work, I often go into an office and it's like the Hatfield and the McCoys or Pakistan and India or Palestine and Israel, you know, you just see like there's this split, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, in a situation. One time I went into an office and, and I saw that it all started because a second line supervisor went up to an employee and just said, is everything all right? I haven't seen you a couple of days, you okay? And he says, yes, and he walks away. Supervisor thinks he's really great even takes care of everyone. And the, the, the person who heard it said, turned to their friend and said, what an idiot he is. You know, he puts on this fake smile. And, you know, I had permission from my supervisor to take leave, and, you know. And then they told their friend, and they told their friend, and they told their friend. And then it got back to the second line supervisor, and he told his friend, and he told... And I walked into the situation. When I traced it back, everyone kind of had to laugh a little bit about what started it. Right. So here, of course, it's much more of a serious, uh, although you could say, just one second then, um, you could say that what started it was a small thing in one sense. Lord Shiva was absorbed in meditation, and Daksha walked into the, uh, into the arena, and Lord Shiva didn't stand up. And Daksha could have just said, anyway, he's my father-in-law, you know, cut him some slack, or, you know, anyway, you know, he's Lord Shiva, he's, he's one of the greatest of all the demigods, you know. So he could have done that, but instead, he took offense, and then five chapters later, <laughs> the mess gets messed up. Yes? So how would you define passive aggression? Passive aggression? Well, you could, um, how would I define it? I don't know if it's my job to uh, define it. We could find out what uh, Google Dave says. <laughs> Instead of Guru Dave, right? Ask what Pass. I don't know. Why do you ask that question, though? Denoting a type of behavior or personality characterized by indirect resistance to the demands of others and an avoidance of direct confrontation, as in procrastination, pouting, or misplacing important material. Yes. So um, this was this. This was not passive-aggressive in this case. This was just aggressive. But yeah, some people, they, they'll do like that. They'll be passive-aggressive. Um, again, you'll see that, especially in traditional cultures, where somebody knows externally you're supposed to be respectful, right? Yeah, and you're supposed to go, yes, yes, like that. But then, in reality, you don't do anything. Now, it's not exactly passive-aggressive. This is a little different. But in India, people are very... Uh, part of the culture is often that you don't say no, right? So you say, are you coming to my daughter's wedding? Definitely. And you know there's about a 30% chance that they'll actually come, right? <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> often, right? Well, maybe not. Wedding's an important thing, but, you know, something a little less like that. But people are... So that can perhaps lead sometimes to... Because you think the person is really on your side, and meanwhile, like it says here, they're kind of, uh, we see that in, in the workplace by, um, uh, it says here, procrastination, sabotage is even a stronger word, right? 
or just uh, in the federal agencies, sometimes just see people just taking a long time to get something done. Right? It's not, a, it's not a stoppage of work, it's just a slow down, right? <laughs> Especially if you don't like your boss or you don't like the direction of the agency or something like that. So I'm trying to think if there's passive aggressive examples in the Shastra. I'll have to think about that. But in this case, it's not passive aggressive, it's just aggressive. <laughs> and that's what's happening here. So back to the, back to the Shastra here. So then text 33, the sage Maitreya said, so Maitreya is telling, who's he telling this to? Vidura. He's telling this story. And he says, when such cursing and counter-cursing was going on between Lord Shiva's followers and the parties of Daksha and Brigu, Lord Shiva became very morose, not saying anything. He left the arena of the sacrifice. And Srila Prabhupada writes, here Lord Shiva's excellent character is described. In spite of the cursing and counter-cursing between the parties of Daksha and Shiva, because he is the greatest Vaishnava, he was so sober that he did not say anything. A Vaishnava is always tolerant, and Lord Shiva is considered the topmost Vaishnava, so his character, as shown in this scene, is excellent. Of course, later he gets, takes it, you know, he gets a little fiery, but in this case, uh, Prabhupada writes a little later, thus the only alternative left for Lord Shiva was to leave in order to stop his follower, Nandishwara, as well as Brigumuni, from cursing and counter-cursing in that way. So, in this, so a devotee in general is attached to doing, uh, following principles of religion, principles, uh, and not and the details may vary, right? So let's say one is a teacher or a spiritual master, right? So they want to help a disciple who's having some, some uh, difficulties. So if they think that by chastising the disciple, that will help the disciple, they'll chastise. If they think patting him or her on the back and, and just encouraging them, and yeah, don't worry about it, if you, they think that will help the disciple, they'll do that. They're not attached to the pat on the back or the chastisement, they're attached to helping the other person. So similarly, when we're sharing Krishna consciousness with others, um, it's good to know something about them and their interests, their needs, their concerns, so that our teaching is more like, you've heard me give this example before, is more like a, a, a laser and less like a shotgun. Right? A shotgun, you kind of point the gun in a certain direction you know, and you hope for the best, right? Because it, 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 it sprays out a lot of shrapnel. But a laser goes, is very pinpointed, right? So when we understand the needs, the interests, and the concerns of other people, we can take the volume of Srila Prabhupada's teachings and Lord Krishna's teachings and find the exact part of that volume that will help that person. So that's, uh, that's a, so, that, so Lord Shiva, in this case, he thought, okay, the best way to just stop all this is for me to just exit stage right so to speak, is to, you know, get out, of, and that would, that would calm things down, calm especially Nandeshwara down his, uh, so that's what he did. But if he thought saying something would have calmed things down, he would have said, you know, that the, so, that's, so that's something we can learn, a lesson here by Lord Shiva, as Prabhupada said, his excellent character. 
And therefore, one of the qualities of, a, of, a, of an intelligent person in general, and what to speak of an intelligent devotee, is to be able to judge time, place, and circumstance. You have principles and you have details. The principles, of course, don't change, but the details can change according, like Srila Prabhupada writes in one Chaitanya Charitamrita purport, he said, what's, a, what's possible to do in India is not necessarily possible to do in the West. Right? He, I think in that case, he was talking about the uh, strict separation of men and women in the different ashrams and things. In India, yeah, people can relate to that more, at least in that time when he wrote this in the 70s. Now, who knows? Um, uh, but he, you know, so, <clears throat> so Prabhupada was an amazing judge of time, place, and circumstance, that he was, he was able to attract people despite, despite him talking about the four regulated principles, but help them, you know, attract them to Krishna consciousness in the West and make adjustments, but not change the principle. So we may have to do that also sometimes in our lives. And Lord Shiva here is uh, showing a good example. So some thoughts on that? No? Okay. Yes, uh, get a microphone for Finoji. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. How uh, you make a decision, you know, uh, like you obey your husband or, you know, or agree with your husband or I agree with your father. Yes. <laughs> it, hopefully we don't have to make too many decisions like that. Um, we, it's good to, uh, like Krishna says in the eighth chapter of the Gita, he says, Tarzmat sarveshu kaleshu mamanusmara yudhicha. He tells Arjuna to mamanusmara, to remember him, and then yudhicha, to do his duty. So um, for us, it, it really behooves us to say some sincere prayers when we're faced with a tough decision um, and really try to see what is Krishna's uh, will or what's the best choice. Um, but the, the one thing that's good to remember is that making no choice is a choice. Sometimes we think, okay, you know, uh, you know this, uh, this is really hard, so I'm just not going to make any choice. But sometime, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's the absolute worst choice. Like, like if your, uh, your daughter, if she, uh, if she got a, a, uh, accepted at medical school in, uh, you know, three different schools, and she said, they're all good, so I'm not going to go to any of them. I can't make up my mind, so I just won't go to any of them. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, you have to make a tough decision. Um, and sometimes waiting is good, right? Have you ever been in a fight with somebody else uh, uh, or a disagreement or just upset about something and then you sleep on it and sometimes the next day you see it in a different perspective? So sometimes avoiding something is good. It, it's, it's, uh, that's why we have to learn to be expert at time, place, and circumstance because sometimes it's really hard. S Sati didn't have such a tough choice. But sometimes we would, right? I see, like I mentioned in India, in court cases where, uh, let's say, the, uh, the father is deceased, the mother is still living, the brother and sister are fighting over the property. What should the mother do? Sometimes, you know, she tries to make peace, that didn't work. You know, so sometimes there's, there's, there's it's the material world. 
So there's always, there's sometimes going to be tough choices. Well, I know you're saying pray to Krishna, but yeah. end of the day, you have to pick one. Yes, but and Krishna made the dami buddhi yogam tvam. He may give us the buddhi, the intelligence, to do that. Um, sometimes um, Arjuna was faced with this difficulty. They had captured uh, Ashwatthama, and some of the pandavas were just saying, you know, off with his head. Look at all the terrible things he's done. He committed murder and, and of children and so many terrible things off with his head. And Draupadi is saying, oh, you know, he's a brahmana, son of your guru. You can't just kill him. So what to do? So Arjuna uh, cut off the jewel in his hair, which is a great embarrassment. Actually, uh, he hadn't killed the children yet, right? Oh, he had, he had, yeah. Anyway, it was a choice that Arjuna had. It was a tough choice because you have, you know, Krishna telling, you know, Krishna was kind of, you know, but yeah, Krishna was saying kill him, right? So, so sometimes it is a hard choice and we have to, we, but, um, so in other words, my point is praying to Krishna is not just like, eh, it's a cool idea, but Krishna may actually give us some inspiration in the heart. But still we have to make it, you're right, we have to make a choice. Have you had to make some tough decisions in your life? Oh, yeah. Man. Everybody has to make, you know, yeah. many. And sometimes we think this is the best, but uh, later on we realize, oh, it was not that bad. Yeah. Other was good, you know. Yeah, and what to do? Kyakare. You know, it doesn't also help to lament too much about the past because we, did, we made the best decision we could with the information we had. We can also consult with other people. That sometimes helps. So that can also be confusing. Then you get somebody saying this, I and mean, that's what happened to Arjuna. <laughs> Just like, again, in India, living in Vrindavan, you, when you're sick, some people say, oh, you have to just go to an allopathic doctor. Oh, allopathic doctor is just nonsense. Homeopathic is way. No, Prabhupada said homeopathic is like sweet pills. No, you have to do Ayurveda. No, Ayurvedic, there's lead poisoning in the, you know, <laughs> natural path. <laughs> but you have to pick some medicine to take. <laughs> Sometimes it could be really hard, you know. Uh, that was my experience living in Vrindavan. <laughs> so this yes. kind of decision, pretty big one. You know? What's that? This kind of decisions are big one, you know. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, and uh, you know, just like uh, there was a poem by uh, Robert Frost: uh, Two roads diverge in a forest, and I took the one less traveled on, and that made all the difference. So you can interpret that in different ways, right? But um, it's a huge decision for everyone in this room to become a devotee of Krishna. It goes against a lot of what culture is telling us to do today. Right? Very much so. Um, so that's, that's a major decision that, we, that at least the people in this room have made, right? So decisions are, are there. And there's, there's ways to help us make decisions. You can do a, um, like uh, Benjamin Franklin did, you do plus and minuses, right? And you make a list and things like that. And there's, there's other ways that, to, that I use because a lot of my work is in helping organizations make decisions in my day job.
Yeah. Okay, should we move on? You're satisfied now, you're, now from now on, all your decisions are going to be perfect? <laughs> your wife is smiling. <laughs> okay, so text 34. The sage Maitreya continued, O Vidura, all the progenitors of the universal population thus executed a sacrifice for thousands of years, for sacrifice is the best way to worship the Supreme Lord Hari, the personality of Godhead. My dear Vidura, carrier of bows and arrows, all the demigods who were performing the sacrifice took their bath at the confluence of the Ganges and the Jamuna after completing the Yagna performance. Such a bath is called Avabritra Snan. After thus becoming purified in heart, they departed for their respectful, respective abodes. And Srila Prabhupada writes, only such persons care for demigods and, um, and want to derive material benefit from them. Of course, this does not mean that one should not show respect to the demigods, but there is no need to worship them. One who is honest may be faithful to the government, but he does not need to bribe the government's servants. This is a, I thought this was a very nice explanation of demigod worship and Krishna worship. Bribery is illegal. One does not bribe a government servant, but that does not mean that one does not show him respect. Similarly, one who is engaged in the transcendental, literally transcendental means above the demigods, transcendental loving service of the Supreme Lord does not need to worship any demigod, not, nor does he have any tendency to show disrespect to the demigods. So very good point for us. Even Lord Chaitanya, he would visit the uh, temples of demigods and offer respects. And uh, one time in Hong Kong, Srila uh, Prabhupada was invited to a, 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 a temple of Lord Shiva by the Pujari. And uh, at first Prabhupada said, you know, told the Pujari, yes, yes, I'll come. And then, the, then one of the devotees said, but Prabhupada, they're worshiping Lord Shiva as the Supreme Lord there. Uh, and no, they're worshiping Lord Shiva there. And then Prabhupada got angry with him. And he said, you tell them not to worship Lord Shiva? <laughs> And he said, oh, but they worship him as the Supreme Lord. He said, oh, okay, well, that's not exactly right. But you should show respect to Lord Shiva. Yes. So, so, so any thoughts on that? Yes? Paying obeisances. Um, you can also worship the demigods as angas of the Supreme Lord. This is mentioned in the fifth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So that's another way to do it so um, but we're, you know we devotee tries to live their life in a respectful way right we respect mother earth we um, by uh, by being you know uh, not using styrofoam and things like that right and and uh, <laughs> my wife is really into not using when she goes to a home program and they start serving with styrofoam she's she gives them a lecture <laughs> you know, about that. Um, we show respect to all the sons and daughters of the Supreme Lord. What to speak of a demigod. So we, we, we tread this earth in a respectful way. Okay, shall we continue to the next uh, chapter? Chapter 3. Now these are talks between Lord Shiva and Sati. So you said Sati, but the, the eye is long. 
So isn't it sati? Sati. Sati. Okay. Maitreya continued. In this manner, the tension between the father-in-law and son-in-law, Daksha and Lord Shiva, continued for a considerably, a considerably long time. When Lord Brahma appointed Daksha the chief of all the prajapatis, the progenitors of population, Daksha became very much puffed up. And Prabhupada writes, when a man becomes too proud of his material possessions, he can perform any disastrous act, and therefore Daksha acted out of false prestige. So, by the way, you can be proud, you know, you might look at this and say, oh, I don't have any big possessions. You know, I have a five-year-old car and live in an apartment or this or that or a townhouse. It, you can, the pauper can be proud of his penny. So anyone can be proud. <laughs> the nature of this world is such uh, that we can be proud of, uh, of anything. <laughs> it's funny, huh? Verse 3, Daksha began a sacrifice named uh, Braja uh, Peya, and he became excessively confident of his support by Lord Brahma. He then performed another great sacrifice named Brihaspati Sava. Hmm. So in the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, all sacrifices are intended to pacify Lord Vishnu, but Lord Vishnu includes all his devotees. Brahma, uh, and Lord, Brahma, Lord Shiva, and other demigods are all obedient servants of Lord Vishnu, and therefore, Lord Vishnu is never satisfied without them. But Daksha, being puffed up with his power, wanted to deprive Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva of participation in the sacrifice, understanding that if one satisfies Vishnu, it is not necessary to satisfy his followers. But that is not the process. Vishnu wants his followers to be satisfied first. Lord Krishna says, Madbhakta puja yadika. The worship of my devotees is better than the worship of me. Similarly, in the Padma Purana, it is stated that the best mode of worship is to offer oblations to Vishnu, but better than that is to worship the devotees of Krishna. So we don't worship the devotees of Krishna as Krishna, but we, worship, but we, we, we serve them uh, because they're servants. Right? And so, you know, the example we, uh, I just uh, probably said it a thousand times, but we'll say it a thousand and one. Prabhupada gives the example of a rich man. He talks about it specifically in Juhu, because uh, the beach in Juhu, there's a lot of wealthy areas in, in uh, well, at that time, it was considered northern Mumbai. Now it's like northern is Mira Road and even further north, anyone knows Bombay. Uh, but anyway, at that time, it was like the very rich suburbs, yeah. And uh, so as you see a very wealthy person uh, walking by, what can you offer him? Right? Even if you say you'll give him a Mercedes, he probably has three Mercedes Benz or something like that, right? But if you take a one rupee suite and you give it to his son or daughter, then he's very happy, right? You, because especially if the son and daughter are so happy, then the father immediately becomes happy and will, you know, his heart melts towards you. So similarly, Krishna, what can we give Krishna? <laughs> he owns everything. Right? Aham sarvasya prabhava matas sarvam pavartate, he says. I am the source of all material and spiritual worlds. But if we make his devotee happy, then he's, oh, you've won my heart. Hmm? And that doesn't just mean the big, big devotees, the sannyasis, the 
gurus, Srila Prabhupada. No, it, uh, what did uh, Jesus Christ say about that? One who takes care, one who serves the least of me, something to that effect, serves me. So um, we, we serve all the ways. We may serve them a little differently, but we have that mood of seva towards devotees. And that is the quickest way to be recognized by Krishna. Yes, uh, microphone. Uh, since you mentioned Jesus, like he also said it's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle since we're in Potomac. He said it's easier for a, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to achieve the kingdom of God. So that's directly connected to what we just read because that's what, the, that's what happened with Daksha. He became proud of his material possessions. Um, actually, we're going to hear about that, I think, in a few purports from now. That that may be a general principle, but also um, it, a devotee can also be very opulent and be a great devotee. It may be a little bit more of a challenge, but we all have our challenges in different ways. Right? Um, so it's possible, it's just it's a little harder. Because, because there is a tendency to be proud. But like we just said a few minutes ago, a pauper can be proud of their penny. Or uh, a devotee can be proud of their Prius. <laughs> or, or whatever. Right? So, isn't it? We can be, uh, yeah. But yes, that is, that is a, uh, you know, he was making a point about, about um, about material possessions not being the goal of life and how they can be, they can be intoxicating. Hmm? But we have even an example in our own community of uh, Ambarish Prabhu and his daughter, very well-to-do, incredibly well-to-do family and so humble and uh, just in the mood of service, Amrita and her, and her uh, father. Ambarish Prabhu Prabhupada appreciated Ambarish very, very much. Not because he was rich, but because he had he, he was he was such a deep uh, Vaishnava. Is such a deep Vaishnava. Okay, so we carry on. Text four. <clears throat> While the sacrifice was being performed, many Brahmarshis, great sages, ancestral demigods, and other demigods, their wives, all very much decorated with ornaments, attended uh, from different parts of the universe. The chaste lady, Sati, the daughter of Daksha, heard the de heavenly de denizens flying in the sky conversing about the great sacrifice being performed by her father. When she saw that from all directions the beautiful wives of the heavenly denizens, their eyes very beautifully glittering, were near her residence and were going to the sacrifice dressed in fine clothing and ornamented with earrings and necklaces with lockets, she approached her husband the master of the Buddhas, in great anxiety, and spoke as follows. Sati said, My dear Lord Shiva, your father-in-law is now executing great sacrifices, and all the demigods, having been invited by him, are going there. If you desire, we may also go. I think that all my sisters must have gone to this great sacrificial ceremony with their husbands just to see their relatives. And I also desire to decorate myself with ornaments given to me by my father and go there with you to participate in that assembly. 
My sisters, my mother's sisters, and their husbands and other affectionate relatives must be assembled there. So if I go, I shall be able to see them and I shall be able to see the flapping flags and the performance of the sacrifice by the great sages. For this reason, my dear husband, I am very much anxious to go. So this is the Vedic equivalent of, you know, going to a big party or uh, a, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> like that. or, you know, tailgating at a football match or something. This is a, it's a little bit uh, higher level of consciousness. She wants to see the great sages, you know. This manifest cosmos is a wonderful creation of the interaction of the three material modes or the external energy of the Supreme Lord. This truth is fully known to you. Yet I am but a poor woman, and as you know, I am not conversant with the truth. Of course she is. Uh, therefore, I wish to see my birthplace once more. Now, let's be honest. Don't you, sometimes if you go to your birthplace, you have a little bit of a tinge in the heart? For many people, it's like that. Even though we know philosophically, Boma Ijadi, that a uh, person who's not very intelligent thinks their place of worship. Place of birth is worshipable. I think I told you that. I was once giving a class on that. And my rascal son raised his hand and said, my, my place of birth is worshipable. Because he was born in Vrindavan. <laughs> Wise guy. But anyway, I, I know for myself, I was once uh, going to see a good friend of mine, Yogeshwar Prabhu, on Long Island. Um, and I drove right past the exit to where I, where I grew up. And I was like, oh, should I turn? Should I you know, just go check it out for a few minutes? Oh, never born, oh, blue-throated one. Not only my relatives, but also other women dressed in nice cloths and decorated with ornaments are going with their husbands and friends. Just see how they flock, their flock of white, of white airplanes have made the entire sky very beautiful. O oh, best of the demigods, how can the body of a daughter remain undisturbed when she hears that some festive event is taking place in her father's house? Even though you may be considering that I have not been invited, there is no harm if one goes to the house of one's friend's husband's spiritual master or father without invitation. So have you ever had that happen to you in your life? Not be invited to something? How does it, yeah, it happened to you, Henry? I, can't, I find that hard to believe with you. You're such a socialite. What? To a fit, that's even worse, right? Well, just in general, or what to speak of a family event. Yeah. So it, it, it hurts, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, it hurts. You know, uh, you know they, they didn't invite me. You know? I know one time I, I got all upset. My wife had to chastise me. I said, they didn't ask me to speak at that event? And then she said, she said when did you become God's gift to the world? But, you know, if you're not invited to something, it, it hurts. Then, then, as you're saying, what to speak of a family event? So what really hurts there when we say it hurts? What, what is hurts? It? Is it you the know, ego? You is know, it you, the I think, ego? You, I think that's a rhetorical ego? question. You know the answer. Tell us. I think it's the false ego. Yes, it's And the weakness ego. of the heart that, yeah. I mean, all associated yeah. things which form weakness of the heart. I'm yes. Yeah. I'm important, yeah. Right. Yeah, who do they think they are? Don't they, <laughs> don't they understand me? 
Uh, microphone for? Yeah, the expectations. Expectations. Yeah. Expectations, yes. So this is clearly indicates there is ego. And like even like, you know, uh, the Supreme, uh, like, you know, Shiva's Parvati Shakti Devi, she also like emotional like for silly things like this. So in a devotional service, what are we supposed to do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, what's the hope for us if Lord, if uh, the personification, the material energy, uh, of course, this is a Leela, um, but, it, but these things are lessons for us. That's why, that's why these great personalities, one of the reasons they perform these pastimes. It's a, it, it, it kind of is for the, um, it's there, one reason it's there is to ask the kind of question you just asked. And then the answer should be, that we become more taking shelter and more um, dependent on Krishna's energy, because we, on Krishna's mercy, because we actually, you know, the devotee ultimately realizes that, you know, I'm made of Krishna's mercy. Uh, oh, look at Arjuna, right? He, he was like, the, I mean, was he a good warrior or what? Was he a good warrior, Arjuna? Right, Krishna? Exceptional, right? I mean, maybe the only person who might have been able to challenge him was Karna, maybe, right? In terms of abilities, maybe, yeah. Um, yet, what happened at the end, towards the end of his life, after Krishna left this world? He was defeated by some, like you know, you know, like uh, some country bumpkin farmers, <laughs> as we would say in America, <laughs> right? So when, uh, because, and Prabhupada writes that because that power of his was not necessary to go back to Godhead. That was the actual words he uses. So, Krishna giveth and Krishna taketh away. And we probably, some of us may have had that example in, in, in terms of loved ones or in terms of money or in terms of reputation, you know. And it, all of those things, you know, they're, they're really painful because of as Mataji is saying, the false ego. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm thinking sir, Sati was uh, sincerely serving a uh, elevated Vaishnava. In yeah. spite of that, she was having these feelings because she was also deeply attached to her father. And because of attachment, we can... Yeah. We are vulnerable to such and emotions. her family. She, you know, she even yeah. though she could, in some places it says she could do without her father, but she wanted to see her sisters, her mother. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you're like the great, you're because she was the uh, the most beloved daughter prior to this event, right? And then all of a sudden she's persona non grata, right? Yes, so shall we carry on? Anyone want to add something else? Oh, immortal Shiva, please be kind towards me and fulfill my desire. You have accepted me as half of your body. Therefore, please show kindness towards me and accept my request. The great sage Maitreya said, oh, Lord Shiva, the deliverer of the hill Kailash, having thus been addressed by his dear wife, replied smilingly, although at the same time he remembered the malicious, heart-piercing speeches 
delivered by Daksha before the guardians of the universal affairs. What's another example of someone before they speak smiling? Krishna, where? In the Gita, yeah. Yeah, in the Gita. He did that. Nardas, that's right. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it seems to be a thing that great souls do sometimes. The great Lord replied, my dear beautiful wife, you have said that one may go to a friend's house without being invited, and this is true, provided such a friend does not find fault with the guest because of bodily identification. There you go, the false ego. Uh, and thereby being come angry towards him. Although the six qualities, education, austerity, wealth, beauty, youth, and heritage, are for the highly elevated, one who is proud of possessing them becomes blind, and thus he loses his good sense and cannot appreciate the glories of great personalities. And Prabhupada writes, it may be argued that since Daksha was very learned, wealthy, and austere, and had descended from a very exalted heritage, how could he be unnecessarily angry towards another? The answer is that when the qualities of good education, good parentage, beauty, and sufficient wealth are misplaced in a person who is puffed up by all these possessions, they produce a very bad result. So just like the, what you quoted from the Bible, we also know the um, verse in the eighth, chapter of the first canto by Queen Kunti, right? Does anyone know that verse? Go ahead. Janmaishwarya shuta shibir edamadamadapaman naivarhati abhidatamai tamakinchana gocharam. What does it mean? <laughs> when, um, when a person is uh, puffed up or taking shelter of these four things, janma birth, aishwarya like opulence, uh, education and beauty, then one cannot feelingly call out to the Lord. It's, it's, yeah. it's more difficult, yes. Well, the same answer as Jesus, so Krishna and Jesus agree. It is sometimes, a little further in the purport, it is sometimes therefore detrimental for a person advancing, this is the purport I was referring to, uh, advancing in spiritual consciousness or Krishna consciousness possess such material as assets. Kunti Devi, while offering prayers to Krishna, Address them as Akinchana Gotra, which is one of the parts of the verse that Mataji just wrote. One who is easily approached by those who are bereft of all material acquisitions. Material exhaustion is an advantage for advancement in Krishna consciousness, although if one is conscious of his eternal relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one can utilize one's material assets, such as great learning and beauty and exalted ancestry, for the service of the Lord. Then such assets become glorious. In other words, unless one is Krishna conscious, all his possessions are zero. But when this zero is by the side of the Supreme One, it at once increases to the value of 10. Or if you add so many zeros, it can be a million or a billion, like that. So it's possible. It's just uh, more of a challenge. So Daksha, at this point at least, was not up to the challenge. He got intoxicated by these uh, opulences. Correct? Anything else? Okay, text 18. One should not go, who's speaking? 
One should not go to anyone's house, even on the consideration of his being a relative or a friend, when the man is disturbed in his mind and looks upon the guest with raised eyebrows and angry eyes. Lord Shiva continued, if one is hurt by the arrows of an enemy, one is not as aggrieved as when cut by the unkind words of a relative. Anyone ever have that experience? But for such grief continues to rend one's heart day and night. Right? Because we're so, um, in this world we are, um, one of our shelters is family. In, one, in the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Prabhupada talks about how we, um, we orbit around f uh, friend, uh, family, friendship, and love, society, friendship, and love. You know, especially, you know, we have this little orbit of our family members, you know, two kids and a wife and a car and two dogs or whatever, you know, like that. Um, and that can be a kind of creepina, uh, miserly, condition because then if we don't expand our consciousness ultimately as a devotee to all of humanity we're actually beyond humanity to all species of life because they're all related to the Supreme Lord and after all our relationships in this life are temporary uh, that doesn't mean we don't you know take care of you know act um, dutifully in the Grihasta ashram and things like that um, but you can see what also happens, right? You get the great, you get, you get a lot of sukha and a lot of dukkha in family relationships, isn't it? Right? Even if you have the, you know, let's say you're, you had like the best marriage that ever existed on the planet Earth, right? That even becomes more painful when one of the spouses passes away. Right? Yes, uh, mm -hmm. microphone. So, there's always this sukha and dukkha. Yes? Like, um, doesn't Krishna say in the Gita somewhere that you should treat the insult and the praise? Yes. It's the same. Right. right. Yes, he's talking about, he's, on, he's speaking on the level of gyan, of, uh, of knowledge, and he's saying that a, a, a sage... Um, well, he says different things in different places, but one sees pebble and gold is the same, or fame and infamy. Uh, he also says, Sukha dukkha samekritva labda labdo jayam jaya. Uh, he says that um, one should see happiness and distress, uh, fame and infamy, um, etc., with equal vision. Right. So when we don't, this is the result. That's what Lord Shiva is saying here. He's just what you're saying. That's what Lord Shiva is saying. That when you're not on that level, this is what happens to us. But there is a level higher than that. And that's the level of remembering Krishna and, and being a devotee of Krishna. And then the world even looks a little different because then the world looks... Um, that's a certain level that Krishna in the Gita is speaking on different levels. So he's speaking about here in those verses, but then elsewhere he'll have a higher level. Always remember me, think of me, offer obeisances, become my devotee. 
And then when one is a devotee, one actually looks at the world a little differently again and sees that, uh, accepts everything that's favorable for their developing love, their bhakti, and rejects things that are unfavorable. So we're going to come to that soon. So instead of seeing everyone equally, they do on one level, because they know they're all spirit souls, part and parcel of Krishna, but they know also that I associate with this person, I make spiritual advancement, I associate with that person, and it's not good for my Krishna consciousness. So therefore, I'm going to serve and associate this person and either give mercy to this person or avoid them if they're really envious. So there's different levels of seeing things. Yes? Sorry, Prabhu. Uh, it's Why, what are you sorry about? Uh, no. Uh, if oh. I'm a devil's advocate... There's some people that just begin a sentence with sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said sorry. You could work uh, on not saying that. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, if I've been like uh, looking as a devil's advocate for Daksha, and then like Lord Shiva also can be humble, saying that like it's a great sacrifice, like he's like inviting all the devotees and like you know it's doing for like the Supreme Lord, and uh, it's like his in-law, he's his in-law, he's elder, ultimately he's an elder person, right. and he can be just uh, towards the participating of the good thing that he can be, he can also participate, but here he is also having an ego here, right? No. He is, uh, I don't think so, uh, because he's seeing uh, some great souls are trikalagya. They can see past, present, and future. And he knows Daksha's mind and knows that Sati is going to feel great insult. And then if he goes there, then it's even, then it's even worse for Daksha because then he's going to commit more Vaishnava Parad. It's, uh, there's an example in, um, I can't remember if it's Hong Kong or Japan, but Srila uh, Prabhupada, there was the, the one uh, Indian gentleman who wanted to offer some land, or was considering offering some land to Srila Prabhupada, Iskand. And the devotees said to Prabhupada, well, Prabhupada, if you go there, it's probably going to be a better chance that he'll donate it. And Prabhupada said, no, I should not go, because if he turns me down, that would be bad for him in his spiritual life, offending, because it would be kind of an offense against me. You know, Krishna might see it like that. So better I don't do that for his benefit. So in the same, I can't predicate Lord Shiva's mind, but that might be part of it. Yes, Prabhu? Uh, I also heard from uh, some devotee, I don't remember, uh, opposite to Iskon Krishna Balram Mandir, there is a place owned by Ban Maharaj. Yes, it's a and university. Uh, yeah, college. Yeah. yeah. So at that time, Prabhupada had discussion with Brahmananda Prabhu, and he said, Prabhupada, if you go and ask, I think he will give. And then Prabhupada, in a very soft voice, he said, "Even if Lord Chaitanya comes, he doesn't. He won't give." <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So. Um, so I think that's more likely the scenario here, that Lord Shiva could see what was going to happen. Um, and it happened. Yeah, and then if he had gone also, oh my God, right? Because you know, we might have had what happened in the last chapter. That's why I said sorry earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Prabhupada writes in the purport, but Lord Shiva reminded her that she would not be able to tolerate such unkind words because natural psychology dictates 
that although one can suffer harm from an enemy and not mind so much because pain inflicted by an enemy is natural, when one is hurt by the strong words of a relative, one suffers the effects continually day and night, and sometimes the injury becomes so intolerable that one commits suicide. So again, this is not the samadarshina that we hear about in the Gita, but just uh, saying, well, not everyone's samadarshina, and this is the, what happens to us. Um, so friendly fire is actually more painful than enemy fire. Right? You know, friendly fire is when you're in a, in a war, when by mistake, well, this is usually, hopefully it's a mistake, um, you, people on your own, people on your own team, so to speak, uh, kill you or shoot you, shoot at you, right? And this happens, it happens sometimes. So um, friendly fire, you know, it's, um, even in, in ISKCON, right, if someone who's out, not in devotional service and doesn't understand what we do, and they say, why are you guys running around with sheets on, and, you know, and, uh, you know, Right, and funny looking haircuts and stuff like that. You just kind of, whatever, right? But if a devotee, you know, goes on the internet and says, you know, Raghunath, Raghunandan Prabhu, that's a little harder because it's, you know, it's uh, closer to home. Yes. Any thoughts on this? Yes. So, it's especially with this verse, which talking about the hurt caused by the unkind words of relatives. Looks like forgiveness is a, a good approach for a person who is trapped in such a situation to come out of that feeling of hurt. Mm. Because the more we forgive, the better it is for us too. Yes. And we come out of that maybe a victim. Forgiveness is a... Uh Forgiveness, gratitude, and then there's also another way to just look at things, right? And I, you know Prabhupada's that famous time where he said, do not be upset at the agent of your karma. So you don't even, in that case, it's almost like you don't even have to forgive them because you just see them as delivering a parcel that was addressed to you already, right? So, um, yes. So next time, you know, you see a devotee... Uh, walking off with your shoes. So, thank you so much for taking my shoes. Can I have them back now? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not a good example, but yeah. But, um, but you, know, tre you know, walking through life with that consciousness, right? That someone is just delivering to us what we have coming to us. That is, um, it's a, in English, they usually use the word paradigm shift. It's looking at something from a totally different angle of vision. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yes. Jiva Prabhu. Hare Krishna. So he, he always says sorry, you always say Hare Krishna. <laughs> of the two, I guess that's probably a little better. <laughs> Thank you. Pulling your leg. Yeah. So, like in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 12, Lord Krishna does say, Yasmano dishte loko lokana dishte chaya. So, a devotee does not cause disturbance to others and is not disturbed by others' actions right. and words and behavior. So, Lord Shiva, he knew that he, you know, he was very much stable and he could, 
hear those piercing words, and he could remember, and he could understand that if he has to go and Daksha sees with those angry eyes, as he's advising Sati that it's not a good idea, he also knows his wife. Yes. Sati Devi. And, you know, Dhyayato Vishyam Pumsa Sangasteshu Pajayatis. Because she has such a strong attachment, you know, for, towards her father being, you know, being the youngest daughter as well. She was very dear to Daksha. So, if Daksha would say something, because now Lord Shiva is also very dear to her, so she may not be able to take that in the right spirit right. as, so they have, even though they are husband and wife, they are at different levels. Good point. Yes. And then on the Vaishnava level, another word that comes up sometimes is, um, what is it? Ajatra Satru, is that right? One whose enemy is never born. So that was in uh, referring to Yudhisthira Maharaj, right? Yeah. So he doesn't, Prabhupada writes, he doesn't become the enemy of his enemy. So that's another, yeah. And we know Yudhisthira was kind of mellow. <laughs> Would that be an appropriate word to say? He had a very different personality than Bhima. Right? And I think Bhima used to get... Uh, uh, frustrated with uh, his elder brother's um, passivity sometimes, right? And I think Draupadi kind of, she was a little bit more on the Bhima side, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything else on this? Okay, let's continue. My dear white-complexioned wife, it is clear that of the many daughters of Daksha, you are the pet. Yet, you will not be honored in his house because of your being my wife. Rather, you will be sorry that you are connected with me. One who is conducted by false ego and thus always distressed, both mentally and sensually, cannot tolerate the opulence of self-realized persons. Being un unable to rise to the standard of self-realization, he envies such persons as much as demons envy the Supreme Personality of God. So there's a good lesson in this verse for us, that we should really not envy those who are more advanced than us. And one, I think one easy mental adjustment can be that if somebody is really exalted, they went through what we are going through now sometime earlier, <laughs> either in a previous life or earlier in this life, and they passed that test and they've, They've gone further. So, that could, that, so seeing a more advanced devotee can be an impetus to us. Oh, it can be done. And I think that's a really important point. Um, even in our, the way we present, and we can discuss this, see if you agree with me on this, even the way that we present Srila Prabhupada. Because um, like the title of the book, Srila Prabhupada Lilamrita, right? So that's fine, it's a, it's a wonderful, you, Prabhupada's Leela, but if we, if we put too much emphasis on the Leela part, we may in some ways minimize Prabhupada. Like for example, if you just think, uh, oh, it's just Leela that he went on the Jaladuta and had two heart attacks, but he was actually always with Krishna, you know. No, he actually had two heart attacks. He actually suffered great pain. He actually went through those trials and tribulations. They were real. And the fact that he came out of them that's glorious, but if we just write it off as Leela, then we may, that it could actually in one sense be minimizing Prabhupada's greatness, right, in, in, in that sense. Um, so, 
Uh, when, so another time in New Brindavan, um, I think it's, it may have been the exchange that coined the phrase, simply wonderful, the sweets. Um, so they're distributing um, some, these sweets that somebody made. What is it, powdered sugar, powdered, sugar, uh, uh, powdered milk, sugar, sometimes raisins, and butter. Is that right? Yes. Primarily, yes. <laughs> you can't lose with those ingredients pretty much, right? <laughs> Unless you'd get the proportions all wrong. Um, so uh, I remember listening to this tape once, and the, the key, you know, you should probably says something like, you know, they're simply wonderful. And then I think it's Kirtanananda uh, Maharaj says to Prabhupada, uh, you're simply, Srila Prabhupada, you are simply wonderful. And if you listen to the tape carefully, kind of under his breath, Prabhupada says, you all become. So the, um, the, if, if, if Prabhupada's example is so far out of our reach, I don't think that was his um, intention, but rather Acharya is one who teaches by example so that others can try to follow that example. Now, we're not, we're not going to become Srila Prabhupada, obviously, right? Yet his uh, example of dedication to his spiritual master, his example of, uh, you know, um, uh, of nonstop preaching, his example of even being willing to give up eating and sleeping for the mission, his example, you know, et cetera. Those are things to at least try to follow in the footsteps. Not imitate, but follow in the footsteps of. So if we just say, oh, Prabhupada was so great, and I'm just a dog, what can I do? I don't think that was his impression, in, uh, his intention in, in doing that. Um, but rather we can, uh, he wanted to challenge us to become really fixed up devotees of Krishna. So when we see a great exalted devotee of the Lord, it should be an inspiration for us. You know, that, oh, you know, I could, I could try to follow in the footsteps. Not, again, not imitate, but try to follow in the footsteps of that person. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a positive challenge for us when we see someone who's non-envious, who's not uh, conducted by the, mo by the lower modes of material nature, who really is super kind to everyone that they meet. That should be a challenge to us to try to follow in that person's footsteps. Not like here, where uh, um, you can't tolerate their good qualities. Right? You try to find some faults. Some thoughts on this? Uh, one, two. Yes, it happens sometimes like uh, when a spiritual teacher is advising a person to avoid certain things or not to avoid certain things or giving some guidance, it's, it's, it's almost like the person who is receiving the guidance thinks that, oh, I, this is way too much beyond my level and yeah, you can do it, I cannot do it. But at, at a certain point of time, it becomes almost like this kind of an envious mentality, like, okay, the, this person thinks they're too much of himself or herself, and i expecting me to act on that same platform. It's, it's almost this kind of a mentality, and it, it's pretty much a negative and destructive. So what could be a proper way of handling such uh, situations? <laughs> One second. 
Um, it just reminded me of this. This is in uh, Hong Kong, 1974. Once Prabhupada invited a disciple to sit with him as he translated Srimad Bhagavatam in the early morning hours. The disciple declined, saying, I'm already sleeping only five hours a night. When Prabhupada replied, but I am sleeping less, the disciple squirmed. Well, you are a Paramahansa. Prabhupada's answer was strong. Why you are not Paramahansa? So, um, to be honest, I didn't hear a lot of what you said because I was thinking of this quote. <laughs> so, you want to repeat what you're saying? It was almost like along the similar lines of, of this wonderful pastime. Uh, but the tendency is there, like it, it almost acts as a block, but it, not only it's a block, but it leads to this envious mentality. Yes. Oh, this person is always like advising me, guiding, giving me guidance and pushing me to become better and better. Yeah. Just let me be. Well, that's why, you know, <laughs> Srila Prabhupada also writes that chastisement by the spiritual master is reserved for advanced disciples. A neophyte sometimes can't handle that. By the way, it should be, it's important to mention that that passage I just read, we have uh, with us His Grace Tattvavit Prabhu behind you disciple of Srila Prabhupada's, and he actually edited that book that I just read from. <laughs> so uh, Tattva Prabhu is um, uh, a very dedicated disciple of Srila Prabhupada's, and his, his, his greatest claim to fame, he has many great qualities, but he's an he's a amazing editor and a, a literary scholar. So um, we're very happy that he'll be here for some time in uh, this kind of DC, so we're very grateful for him being here. Yeah, he wants, uh, what was the, the name of that course? The Kama Sutra, C-O-M-M-A? Because <laughs> he was teaching editing. So Kama Sutra, C, Kama, like, Kama, not K-A-M-A. <laughs> yes? I was gonna say, Hare Krishna, is it possible to take- Hold the mic like that, yeah. Is it possible to take pride in virtues, and isn't that pretty stupid? It, is it possible to take pride in Yeah, a lot of people do it. Uh, and the problem with taking pride in virtues is that virtues are usually considered pretty much in the mode of goodness, generally. And pride is at least the mode of passion, if not worse. So one of the greatest ways to uh, fall down from the mode of goodness is to become proud of your knowledge, especially in, in, um, in when you're in the mode of goodness, you're conditioned by happiness and knowledge. It was mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. So one of the things, if you become proud of your knowledge or your happiness, you usually come down to the mode of passion or below. So we have to be uh, careful of that. And one of the easiest ways to not is, is to, again, earlier point, to recognize that this ability to have some knowledge or to, or to, have, or to be blessed with some happiness, this is the kindness of the Vaishnavas of my spiritual master of Lord Krishna and to give credit where credit is due. That's a way to kind of remain free from that pride. Because what is that, what is that, is that an English saying? Pride cometh before the fall? Yeah. Is that in the Bible? Yeah. 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 Say, we're two Bible quotes today. We're doing one. <laughs> Henry will be very happy. He's a Paka Episcopalian Vaishnava. <laughs> Shall we continue? Oh, well, there's some things in the purport I wanted to read. 
there were many reasons also. Daksha being materially puffed up could not tolerate the high position of Lord Shiva. So his anger at Lord Shiva's not standing up in his presence was only the final manifestation of his envy. So imagine, right? You, you're, you're, you, you're, you, know, you walk into almost anything and everyone stands up and you kind of get like used to that, right? And then, uh, then it comes along this person who is bigger than you. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're, it's, what is it better? You're a big fish in a small pond, right? And then a bigger fish comes along and you know, he's like, hey, you know, you, you don't get all that. So yeah, it hurts when you're not in spiritual consciousness. When Daksha entered the arena of Yagna, uh, Jagna, Lord Shiva was in meditation. This is an important point. He wasn't actually trying to disrespect his father-in-law. He was absorbed in meditation. And I think Prabhuji, last week you said there was another reason, or was that, no, that was David Kinnanan Prabhu, so there was another reason, I forget what he said. Oh, but anyway, here Prabhupada says that he was in meditation and might not have seen Daksha enter, but Daksha took the opportunity to curse him because Daksha had maintained an envious attitude towards Lord Shiva for a long time. So another big cause of conflicts is making assumptions, right? We once gave a Sunday open house talk on that, all about assumptions. <clears throat> so when you have a certain view of another person, when they do a behavior that you may not you know, have absolute proof about, you're inclined to think a certain way because of your attitude towards them. So Daksha was already kind of envious when he didn't see him standing. He assumed that he was doing this out of envy and disregard for his father-in-law. And, you know, you, assumptions, we talked about this last week, was it? Assumptions cause a lot of problems. We see in uh, Prikshit Maharaj assumed that Samak Rishi was ignoring him and then he garlanded him with a snake. <laughs> uh, uh, Chitraketu assumed that Parvati, no, Parvati assumed that Chitraketu was making fun of her and Lord Shiva. That didn't, that didn't do very well for them. <laughs> so, and, and we can all think of assumptions that we've made in our lives. We make them every day, but, but sometimes we really get it wrong. So we have to be careful about assumptions. They can get us in trouble, especially if you assume the worst. So in general, it's good to make positive assumptions. Right? We gave the example, right, that you're driving on the beltway and someone's weaving in and out of traffic. You just say, must be a guy driving his pregnant wife to the hospital. Right? Why assume that he's a jerk on, on meth or something like that? <laughs> you know, right? Whatever, right? That doesn't mean you, you drive close to him. You stay far away, right, Henry? But uh, <clears throat> so because we see there's a lot of examples in the Shastra <clears throat> the uh, followers of Lord Ram thought definitely we're not going to accept this Vibhishana in our, te in our team. No way. Right? They made some assumptions about him, but Lord Ram had a different view being the Supreme Personality of God in, in everyone's heart. When one, a little further down, when one offers respects to the body, it is not the material body, but the presence of the Supreme Lord. Uh, thus, one who is always in meditation upon the Supreme Lord is always offering him obeisances. But since Daksha was not very elevated, he thought the obeisances were offered to the material body, and because Lord Shiva did not offer respects to his material body, Daksha became envious. Shall we continue? 
My dear young wife, certainly friends and relatives offer mutual greetings by standing up, welcoming one another and offering obeisances. But those who are elevated to the transcendental platform being intelligent offer such respects to the super soul who is sitting within the body, not to the person who identifies with the body. And therefore, the spiritual master, in, in the case of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, would often say, Dasos me, to his disciples. So, you know, I'm your servant. Right? Because he, when they were paying obeisance, he saw, he saw the soul, yeah, super soul and super soul. Yeah. I am always engaged in offering obeisances to Lord Vasudeva in pure Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness is always pure consciousness in which the Supreme Personality of Godhead, known as Vasudeva, is revealed without any covering. Therefore, you should not see your father, although he is the giver of your body, because he and his followers are envious of me. Because of his envy, O most worshipful one, he has insulted me with cruel word, words, although I am innocent. If in spite of this instruction you decide to go neglecting my words, the future will not be good for you. You are most respectable, and when you are insulted by your relative, this insult will be immediately equal, be equal to death. Beginning in the next chapter, the sage Maitreya said, Lord Shiva was silent after speaking to Sati, seeing her between decisions. <laughs> we talked about decisions earlier, right? Sati was very much anxious to see her relatives at her father's house, but at the same time, she was afraid of Lord Shiva's warning. Her mind unsettled, she moved in and out of the room as a swing moves this way and that way. So I think this is, I think, a dilemma that we face in our lives sometimes. We know what's right, and still we really want to do what's wrong. And then what we often do is rationalize, right? You know, even sometimes if, uh, when I'm giving it to, I would, if I had a whiteboard here, I would write, how do you spell it? And I'd say R-A-T-I-O-N-A-L hyphen L-I-E-S, right? Rationalize, because that's what we do. We make really, we, our minds are expert at figuring a way that it's not so bad, right? And so Sati is, she's in between these two. I know I should be doing what Lord Shiva, what my husband says, but oh boy, I really, 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 really want that fifth piece of cheesecake. No, that visit to, you know, and so she might just say, oh, it's just this once, right? Or I won't, I won't look at my father, I'll just see my mom and, and, you know, whatever, I don't, you know, whatever. But we rationalize a lot. Rationalize. That's why it's good to have, uh, like, uh, devotee association, where they go, no, 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 no. That right, you know, or, or uh, what do they call sometimes in addiction uh, accountability partners? Someone who's going to hold you when you begin a little weak and your mind starts rationalizing, then they say, huh? No, right? And sometimes we have to do that with our mind, we have to treat our mind like uh, the best way to treat Brindavan dogs. We've talked about that before, also, right? Brindavan dogs are barking and barking when you're walking by, and the best way to deal with a Brindavan dog is just go, huh? And then they just walk away. Like, oh, 
right? But if you just, if you show fear, they just keep, I want to speak of the monkeys. That's it. Although I probably wouldn't go hut to a monkey. It's more like, no, no, the best thing with a monkey is actually not even the stick, it's just ignoring them. That's what I find. But anyway, uh, so sometimes with our mind, we have to do either ignore the mind, like you would with a monkey, or say hut, like you would with the dog. But you just have to stop it, because it starts going down that road of rationalization. It's going to come upon something that you're going to say, okay, I can do that's good. We, we figured it out. Thank you, my dear friend, my mind. Right, so she's, she, you, can, you can just imagine the scene. Really, because I think we all have this experience. You really, really, really want to do something, and you know it's really, really, really not best for you. Sati felt very sorry at being forbidden to go uh, see her relatives at her father's house. And due, to affection, uh, and due to affection for them, tears fell from her eyes. Shaking and very much afflicted, she looked at her uncommon husband, Lord Shiva, as if she were going to blast him <laughs> with her vision. Thereafter, Sati left her husband, Lord Shiva, who had given her half his body due to affection. Breathing very heavily because of anger and bereavement, she went to the house of her father, this less intelligent act was due to her being a weak woman. And we can be weak men as well. When they saw Sati leaving, uh, leaving alone very rapidly, thousands of Lord Shiva's disciples headed by Maniman and Mada quickly followed her with his bull Nandi in front and accompanied by the Yakshas. Prabhupada writes towards the end of the purport, the word Anuchara is also significant for it indicates that Lord Shiva's disciples were always ready to sacrifice anything for Lord Shiva. All of them could understand the desire of Shiva who did not want Sati to go alone. Anuchara means those who can immediately understand the purpose of their master. So this is, uh, Srila Prabhupada would call this like a first class disciple who can, uh, doesn't even wait sometimes for the, the spiritual master to say something, they can anticipate their needs. Uh, or their instructions. So that's a um, third class, what is it? Third class hears the instructions and kind of ignores them. Second class hears them and follows them. First class anticipates them. So they were being very good disciples here, understanding what, what Lord Shiva would have wanted them to do. And I think, although sometimes it's tricky, I think for the most part we understand what Krishna wants us to do in most situations. Okay, how much time do we have? Five minutes left. Any comments, questions on this point? Jai Sisi Gornitai, Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman, Shishi Radha Madan Mohan Ki Jai. The disciples of Lord Shiva arranged for Sati to be seated on the back of a bull and gave her the bird which was her pet. They bore a lotus flower a mirror and all such paraphernalia for her enjoyment and covered her with a great canopy. Followed by a singing party with drums, conch shells and bugles, the entire procession was as pompous as a royal parade. She then reached her father's house where the sacrifice was being performed and entered the arena where everyone was chanting the Vedic hymns. The great sages, brahmanas and demigods were all assembled there and there were many sacrificial animals as well as pots made of clay, wood, iron, gold, grass and skin which were all requisite for the sacrifice. Mm. 
When Sati with her followers reached the arena, because all the people assembled were afraid of Daksha, none of them received her very well. You ever have that? You ever really want to say someone something really nice to somebody, but you know the person next to you is like their arch enemy? <laughs> yeah, that's a little tricky. <clears throat> no one welcomed her but her mother and sisters, who with tears in their eyes and with glad faces welcomed her and talked with her very pleasingly. Although she was received by her sisters and mother, she did not reply to their words of reception. Although she was offered a seat of pre uh, and presence, she did not accept anything, for her father neither talked with her nor welcomed her by asking about her welfare. <coughs> Present in the arena of sacrifice, Sati saw that there were no oblations for her husband, because her husband's a lead demigod, Lord Shiva. Next, she realized that not only had her father failed to invite Lord Shiva, but when he saw Lord Shiva's exalted wife, Daksha did not receive her either. Thus, she became greatly angry, so much so that she looked at her father as if she was going to burn him with her eyes. The followers of Lord Shiva, the ghosts, were ready to injure or kill Daksha, but Sati stopped them by her order. She was very angry and sorrowful, and, at, and in that mood she began to condemn the process of sacrificial fruit of activities and persons who are very proud of such unnecessary and troublesome sacrifices. She especially condemned her father, speaking against him in the presence of all. So here's a good example also. Do we ever do this? Sometimes we act sentimentally or on the bodily platform, and then later we wake up and we remember the philosophy, right? So this is kind of what, you know, so, you know, first, oh, everyone's going and all well-dressed and this and that. And then she wake, you know, gets a good slap in the face. Wait, this is, this is fruit of activities, these sacrifices. This is not meant to satisfy the Supreme Lord. You know, she could have started giving a whole Bhagavad Gita lecture, right? So we, uh, does that happen to us also? Yeah, so it's uh, instructive to us. Um, <clears throat> she especially condemned her father, speaking against him in the presence of all. So let's end on time for a change. <laughs> and we will continue this exciting pastime next week, and I'll send out the... Uh, there's, there's a... S Does anyone here not get the emails that I send? Okay, two people. The only reason I say that is there's a slight chance that uh, I'll be in Portland next weekend. Slight chance. So uh, if you would tend to come again, just ask Henry, he'll know, because he gets it. And you can just ask anybody at the temple. I'll put your, I can put your name on there. But um, uh, there's just, so i just putting that just in case. Don't be totally surprised. It, it, it's, it's for work and it's uncertain whether uh, it's gonna happen or not. How do you sign up for the emails? Who do you see to sign up for the emails? What's that? Who's responsible for taking oh, the emails? Oh, if you um, um, give me your email address, um, then I'll, it's actually by Hari Prabhu who takes them, but uh, um, yeah. So just give me your email address afterwards. So have a wonderful uh, Krishna Conscious week. And uh, yeah, gosh, I have to go prepare for the next class I have to give. <laughs>